Welcome back to the Alts Podcast. I'm your host, Horatio Ruiz. We bring you industry leaders and creators to give their insights on the rapidly changing and exciting world of alternative assets. Opinions expressed on this podcast by the host and podcast guests are for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Podcast hosts and guests may maintain positions in the offerings discussed in this podcast. The intro song, Fishing for Pets, is written and composed by Alan Goldscher from his latest release, Live at the Lakeview Lounge. All right, guys, so we're very fortunate to talk to Mr. Jonah Reynolds. He's the CEO of Pangea Builders. Jonah, thank you for coming on the pod. Thank you for having me. I was looking through different guests to have on the on the, on the the show, and uh, Pangea Builders really struck me. You guys are building what you call Earth Ships, which is, sounds you know totally futuristic and awesome. But I kind of want to let you kind of describe what it is that Pangea Builders does, what the model is behind the Earth Ships, and sort of like your mission behind that. Yeah, sure. So we, we build Earthships and other off-grid homes. Earthships are just one model. We take what we've learned from the Earthship, which is a completely off-grid building, that is form follows function. It looks a certain way. It has to have a certain layout, a certain floor plan. And we take all that and, and the systems and apply it to conventional floor plans. Uh, you know, a craftsman, a colonial, a rancher, these types of floor plans that we've all been living in for hundreds of years. Uh, to make them more sustainable and and potentially off-grid. So by off-grid, I mean we build buildings that make all of their own utilities. So it makes its own power from the sun. It has batteries uh, with with solar panels so that it can have power at night and all that. It catches all of its water from the sky in climates where it, where you get enough precipitation. And so that's all all water for household use. And then it treats all of the wastewater on site in botanical cells and reuses water three to four times and flushes the toilet with treated gray water. The building heats and cools itself and it also grows some food. So it's off-grid on every single system. And so we build both earthships, we build custom homes, we build straw bale homes, we build conventional floor plan homes and make them as sustainable as possible. You know, when you mentioned that you're completely off-grid and you mentioned about, you know, uh, sort of recycling the rain, using the, the, the rainwater, having the wastewater. Are these buildings meant to be uh, in certain locations where, like you mentioned, where there's enough rain? You know, what happens if you have an airship somewhere where there isn't a whole lot of rain? What happens to the water supply there? Or or are the buildings made so efficient that, you know, you don't need that much water really to, to operate that that part of the house? Right. So we're, we're designing and building airships and other off-grid buildings here in Los Angeles, California. And it doesn't get enough precipitation each year to catch enough water for household use. It just doesn't. There's not enough rain that comes from the sky. So the cutoff is right around 10 to 12 inches of rain per year. That's how much precipitation you need per year. So in climates where you don't have that or it's cloudy all the time or the sun doesn't quite come up high enough, you know, during the day when you're closer to the poles, for example, way in northern Canada. Any type of climactic adjustment that the building needs to make that uh, that impacts its systems, you just adjust for it, and and then you can have a conventional backup, if you will. So when you don't have enough water falling from the sky, you have to have city water or the well. Well, you're still catching some water from the sky, so you're going to use that much less water each year, and your building is already recycling water; it's using it two or three, four times. 
you know, flushing the toilet with, with treated gray water that you did the dishes in the day before. So it's okay where there are places that, that you can't have the full system to be completely off grid. And sometimes it's, it's just a decision that's made, not necessarily because of the climate. It's just the nature of the, of the site, you know, the, the views, who knows what it is. So the buildings adapt and if they're 10% off grid, it's making a huge difference in the world as opposed to being 100% off grid. Yeah. When you mentioned that, right? Well, I'm sure you have these models that are 100% off grid. There are certain locations where that's, that's sustainable and the homes are almost become a part of the, the landscape, right? Right. What about if you're working somewhere, because this kind of where I'm seeing the future of it, right? An urban landscape, like you said, Los Angeles, but like urban, urban, right? Like where you're right smack in the middle of a city. Could you use those technologies that you use for, for certain homes, the, those completely off-grid homes? Could you use that and retrofit it into other homes that are, you know, surrounded by basically just concrete and other buildings? Yeah, you can. That's a very good question. It's a good point. Just like we take these systems and apply them to conventional floor plans, we take these systems and apply them to existing buildings. So we can renovate and remodel the entire building and, and strip it down to its main structure and, you know, replace it with more walls that, that have thermal mass in them, for example. Or it's just a small retrofit where we're adding solar power and a greenhouse with, with the gray water planter. So there's many different levels of, of retrofit and the most sustainable building is the building that's already built. So we're going to make a bigger impact if we retrofit our buildings rather than build new ones. That's a good point. When you say thermal mass, could you define what that is? Is that kind of like the, the, the foundation of the home? Thermal mass is any earth type material. And so when you have a home built of stick frame, like two by fours or two by sixes, that's not thermal mass. Wood is like insulation. And then you have big cavities between the studs of the wood also. So when you replace your frame walls with thermal mass walls, the same thickness and the same look, you, you bring in more thermal mass. And that can be concrete, that can be rammed earth, rock, tile for the floors, that type of thing, any earth type material. Concrete is just easy and, and it's a good replacement. You add more thermal mass and then the temperature becomes a lot more stable. So it'll, it'll force your building to stay closer to the, to the constant average of about 70 degrees which is about room temperature. So when you, when you replace most or all of your walls with thermal mass, you get a more stable temperature. And that's one part of all the systems. That's the heating and cooling system. Wow. So you're basically able to build these homes without a, a heating or a cooling system. And you're saying like it'll adapt to the environment so that the inside of your home is always going to be a constant temperature. Yeah, that's correct. When you use enough thermal mass with enough insulation and, and the right configuration, your building will, will stay comfortable without any forced electric heating or cooling system. Now, it can't hurt to have some kind of air conditioner mini split thing on the wall and throw a switch and feel cold air. It's okay to have that because that thing runs on electricity and that's running off of your solar power system. We like to have a switch and some cool or hot air. It's okay to have that. Could you take me through like a renovation, right? And I'm thinking in terms of kind of our audience, adding value. You made an interesting point where, you know, the most sustainable homes are the ones that are already built. I guess I take it from that, that you're, you're kind of implying you're not creating more waste, right? Um, or you're not creating more material to build a new home. 
So when people are looking to kind of maybe uh, retrofit their home or, or redo it in a way that's a little bit more sustainable, do you find that that's, that's adding value to the home? Do you find that that you know, saves a ton of money over time? Yeah, well, making, making any home more green is going to add more value. It's going to make it more resilient to potential disasters that may come up or potential maintenance break, breakage you know, situations like a water main down the street can pop. Well, that's going to affect all the houses downstream from that. And maybe a transformer blows up down the street. That's going to affect the power systems of on-grid buildings. So when a home retrofits the green way kind of a thing, it's, it's going to make the, the home more green, more independent, more resilient to disasters or accidents that may happen. And so that, that's a more valuable home when, when you have that. And so that makes insurance companies like an energy independent home better because the chance of it, of it um, going through a disaster and failing are a lot less it's going to survive a disaster and, and not be a total loss and not require so much damage. So it, it brings, it brings a lot more value and there are a lot more, a considerable more amount of resources and materials that go into a brand new home as opposed to just retrofitting an existing home. And when you're putting in these, uh, when you are retrofitting, are you also, because of kind of like the nature of your company, are you using a lot of reusable uh, materials or materials that are recycled? Well, getting recycled materials, you know, it, it takes more time and time is money. And sometimes the materials can cost more money. And so if it fits in with the timeline and the budget, then yeah, we're going to use as much recycled materials as we can. But most of the energy, embodied energy and, and used energy in a home is during the operation, not so much during construction. So it's good to use recycled materials, and, and it does make a difference, but it makes more of a difference by, by getting the home built and, and having it operate, and that's where the real efficiencies are safe. Yeah. I just wanted to go back to what you said before, because I was when you talk about you know people building their bunkers, you know being kind of doomsday preppers and all that, and basically you know your motto is you don't have to do any of that. You already are living in it, right? Because- you're already off grid and you're already kind of living in a, in a sustainable way where the home doesn't depend on the grid. Right. Right. You're more independent. Yeah. That's an interesting point. That's an interesting point. What has your market been? Are you, are you looking at people that are looking to kind of change sort of like their lifestyle, do something where they move away from the city entirely and they want to build a new home where they don't really have to be, you know, too much in contact. Or do you find that a lot of the, the builds that you do do are kind of like some sort of retreats where people can get away for a couple of months? It's really all of the above. There, there really isn't a segment of the market that isn't interested in a more sustainable building. We see everybody wanting this type of a building. Gotcha. Does that also include inner cities, governments? Do they come to you when they're, when they're looking to start a new project and kind of uh, want to get your input on how to, how to make things greener and, and more you know, self-sustainable? Getting into the cities is, is more difficult, but it's, it's, it requires a lot of pushing and you know a, a lot of prodding and so we're able to get to get more sustainable methods sustainable systems in the city but it's it's a lot harder yeah you mentioned um a build that you had in west philadelphia um i think i caught that maybe that you did that maybe a year or two ago could you talk about that a little bit kind of how you were able to get in there and how that build went well the whole idea with the design of these buildings is, is that they fit existing code already and so it's really just a matter of making sure that the drawings fit a certain format 
and a certain look um, because they meet code already. And so it's really nothing special or different that has to be done. It's just adhering to the codes and the regulations, providing construction drawings that meet those codes, providing permit drawings that, that meet those codes and those standards, and um, having an architect, having an engineer, and a permit is issued. So if someone's living, let's say, in a suburban home and they want to retrofit their, their home, and I know you talk about different budgets, is, is there something that's kind of available for everybody where they can do like a, a, a certain part of their home to where they're not entirely off-grid, but say, you know, I'm interested in doing something where, you know, maybe the water system is self-sustainable. We get enough water here in this air, in this area. And then you can make the, the water completely off-grid without necessarily doing other components. Or they want to make their home a little bit better insulated, right? What are the levels that you offer? Like if, if there's a homeowner that's interested in, in, in getting involved with this. Right. It's, it's really any system or, or all the systems. The systems that we have are heating and cooling, and that's more thermal mass and more insulation. The other system is electricity. That's just solar power. The other system is, is water supply, and that's catching the water off the roof. The other system is wastewater treatment, and that's having a greenhouse and a gray water planter. So you can have some or all of those systems and take your building 5%, 10%, 50%, 80%, or 100% off grid. Wow. And I imagine that something like with insulation, that that would be a pretty heavy project, right? Because, I mean, you're, you're basically putting the thermal mass all over the home. You'd have to tear it down. Yeah, that's tearing it down to its structure. If, if you want to replace all of, all of the um, interior frame walls with thermal mass, the other option is that we can just wrap the building in thermal mass and insulation. And that, that can make a difference, you know, so that it doesn't have to be a complete teardown. So there's ways to do it. We would add a lot more insulation to the roof. So it, it really just depends on the situation, on if the client wants to live there or, or leave the building so that we can work on it, if the budget will allow, because a complete teardown costs more, but it leaves most of the structure in place. Yeah. How would your, uh, how would Pangea Builders be different from um, like traditional solar companies? Because right now I get, I get a solar uh, company representatives coming to my door like once a month. I'm wondering if, if you had some insights regarding that, like in terms of solar panels, the state of that industry, and the pros and cons, right, of that, and how maybe you do it a little bit differently than maybe some other companies. Right. So only adding a solar power system onto your building is, is going to cost a lot of money because a conventional building is extremely inefficient. It needs a giant HVAC system to keep it cool and to keep it warm. You know, it, it uses a lot of electricity. So if we can retrofit the building with thermal mass and insulation so that it uses a lot less energy, then doing a solar power system is worth it because it doesn't have to be nearly as big. Now, solar power systems have to be installed by locally licensed solar power installers. And, and that's, that's who we work with also. But we always recommend doing a retrofit of heating and cooling in addition to solar power because it makes a big difference that way. How about, uh, I guess the last thing with that is, you have such a home that's kind of, in my idea, in my mind, I feel like the, the thermal mass, there's a great deal of innovation there and different technology, maybe technology that's not so uh, common, right? That's maybe one part of the question. The other part is then in terms of repairs, you know, what happens if there's a problem with the, with the water system or there's a, a problem with the thermal mass? Like how readily available are there experts in the field to come out and kind of work on those repairs? Well, the, the catch water system is all conventional plumbing. It's just a different design. 
Same thing with the wastewater system. So any plumber can come and, and troubleshoot any kind of a problem, any clog, any, any leak or anything like that. That's fine. The thermal mass is just concrete or rammed earth. There's really nothing to happen there. It's just a wall. So there's no real troubleshooting of it. The insulation part, that's just a whole bunch of insulation in your roof and some in your walls also. So that really doesn't have any maintenance or anything to do. So it, it's really just the plumbing and and your solar power system. And both of those are, there's plenty of, of local experts that can troubleshoot too. I want to talk about a different part of your, your uh, what Pangea does is you actually invite people to come out to your builds. You are assuming that these are people that are interested in building design, maybe architects, maybe even, you know, like you mentioned, plumbers, people in construction. Why do you invite people to come out to your builds and like what, what comes out of it? Well, it's, it's very important that more and more people learn about these systems, especially tradespeople, because they can start designing them into their projects. So where we can, we bring in students and volunteers to help us build, to learn. We have classroom time, we have textbooks, and we teach these systems and how to design them and how to build them. And where do you build? I mean, because you build all over the place, I imagine. Is it sort of like experiential learning where people are on site and you're holding class like, like at, at the build? Yeah, they're on site and, um, you know, they're working the project just like the rest of the laborers and they get their hands dirty and, you know, it's, it's really hands on and they're doing everything with guidance. And, you know, at the beginning of the day or the end of the day or at lunchtime, we'll sit down, we'll go over designs, we'll go over the textbook about, about what we're learning. And so students can have a very hands on experience and then graduate, if you will, at the end of the build. And, you know, they're, they're not ready to build a complete building after going through one build. It takes, it takes a few builds for it to really sink in. But um, we, we bring the students on when, when we can, and, and they learn very well. well. I mentioned this before, and it's kind of like I, I see this big opportunity, right? And I don't know if this is something that you're even necessarily interested in right now or focused on. But when I think about this, I think about the potential for these large uh, developments, right? The suburban developments. I'm originally from Miami, and so I could talk about the urban sprawl, right? I mean, cookie-cutter homes being created left and right, taking over miles of you know Everglades swamp. And I just thought about, well, what are the opportunities there for uh, Pangea to be involved or something like that, where what you're doing, bringing in these off-grid concepts, can be applied by these major home builders? Or is that something that's kind of pie-in-the-sky kind of thinking? Well, it's something that, that definitely should be done, but... The frame buildings that are built, you know, a hundred of them at, the, at a time, they're designed and built to be as cheap as possible. And so you, you kind of, you, you really, you, you get what you pay for, you know, you're not going to get any systems and, and it's just going to be built up, built as fast and as cheap as possible. And so sustainable systems, they, they take a little bit more time and cost a little bit more money but they save a lot more in the operation of the building. So it, it really benefits the, the homeowner a little bit more and the developer and the builders a little bit less. Yeah, that, that basically is just basically a cost benefit for the company. Do you see certain cities or, or, or governments that are putting a greater emphasis on, on your kind of uh, building uh, philosophy? You know, every, every location is really doing their part. No one's really doing it fast enough. But, um, you know, I, I can say there, there are good things that, that California is doing where every new home has to have solar power. 
I can say equally good things about the East Coast. It needs to be done a lot faster. Two more questions, and they're kind of kind of a little bit more lighthearted. Could you take me through maybe one of your favorite builds? Uh, something that that you know was maybe more challenging, or was in a certain location where the the building itself was you know just awesome, or maybe the view was awesome. Uh, yeah. So our favorite builds are, are always the ones that we do internationally. So uh, I keep coming back to a project we did in Haiti, a uh, disaster relief project after the earthquake. It was a really intense 11-day uh, build, and we built a demonstration home and, and got to work with a bunch of locals um, who were living in the tent camps and did, did the most simple, sustainable building that we can think of. And it was really an eye-opening and educational experience because we got to show these people how, how a sustainable building can be built, you know, really nice, really strong that can withstand the next earthquake. So those projects are always our favorite. What drove you to go do that in Haiti? And what kind of supplies or materials did you use for, for people there to be able to replicate that? So it's, it's the same materials. It's, it's the same supplies. Each system is just on a much smaller and simpler scale. So in 11 days, we had, we, <clears throat> excuse me, we had a building up that can catch all of its own water and clean it, that can treat all of its own wastewater, that has a flush toilet, that heats and cools itself. So we have to have the systems really, really simple so that we can build them fast. They don't meet um, Western building codes. You know, it's, it's much simpler. They're super safe and just fine. But um, Western building codes can be very restrictive. And so after any disaster, the most important things that you need as fast as possible is quick, strong shelter and good, clean, potable water. And both of those things must be done quickly and must be able to be done by most, if not all, of the population. And so we, we, we taught how to build these buildings, which are very simple to build, with these systems. Uh, and so that's kind of a disaster relief program that we have where any disaster that happens around the world, we'll start reaching out and try and find a connection so that we can get a piece of land and go build and we raise money or someone from that location will, will call us up and bring us in. Have you been involved with something like that in the States? I'm thinking what happened after Katrina in parts of New Orleans and uh, there are tons of rebuild. I know um, Brad Pitt, for example, had a, had a big, uh, big project there and had that sort of these futuristic homes that could almost float if they had to. We did a building in Mexico that was affected by Hurricane Katrina. But again, it's, it's the, the, especially for disasters, it, there's so much bureaucratic red tape that you have to jump through in order to get a building built that by the time you get there and build something, it's, it's, it's almost too late. And so, you know, these buildings are different. And, and um, in, a, in a disaster situation, it can be uh, problematic to get a building built in the Western world, whereas pretty much everywhere else, it's understood that it's, it's a disaster relief project. And, and so we can just get in there and build it really easy and really quick. I guess my, my final question is, how do, how do you view yourselves as a company? I mean, obviously you guys are, are builders, you guys are architects, designers, but do you almost view yourself like you're sort of, you know, you have a mission to kind of change the way that things are done? Or do you just kind of see this as a, you know, hey, this is a, this is a great business. I'm passionate about this and I, wherever it goes, it goes. Yeah, our company's been around for about 10 years. The Earthship concept itself has been around for about 50. And, and so we, we just build off-grid buildings for, for the mainstream. We're trying to get into the mainstream and build as many homes as possible 
and and get into other developers so that they can start building this way. Uh, hopefully, we'll be able to make some change by using less framing. But the goal is really just to be another architecture and construction firm because we're a design build company. But we build buildings that are sustainable at any level, just a little bit or completely off grid. And through our education programs, we bring in experts in the field to learn from us so that they can bring it back home and offer it to their clients. Well, Jonah, thank you so much for for sharing what Pangea Builders does. If people want to contact you, they're interested in learning more about your company, where can they go? Your website? Are you you active on social media? Yeah, our website is at pangeabuilders.com, P-A-N-G-E-A builders.com. And uh, you can get in touch with us there and and see all that. Awesome. Well, Jonah, thank you very much. Uh, it was great talking to you. Jonah Reynolds, again, he's the CEO at Pangea Builders. Thanks for being on the podcast. All right. Thank you. Take care. If you get a chance to visit PangeaBuilders.com, please go ahead and do so. It's amazing what kind of homes they build and how they build it. I really felt a great deal about Jonah's trip to Haiti, where he shared his building methods to improve living conditions in a land that was completely devastated following the 2010 earthquake. It is my hope that other governments, both domestic and abroad, can tap into Jonah's resources to build better and smarter. If you enjoyed today's podcast, let others know about it. We find our guests so interesting and knowledgeable, and I know others will too. Or leave a review or hit the follow button. Until the next episode, take care.